0: Can't get enough of football? Chance, goal! Superhuman! Special,
1: special goal! Incredible! Just incredible!
0: Now you can get the inside look. Welcome to Football Insiders. Your home for informed, insightful and independent opinion, news and talk on football. From the team behind Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival.
1: Oh, what an introduction!
0: Welcome to Football Insiders, the podcast home of Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers' Festival. I'm not quite sure what episode we're up to now, but we've had great chats with a number of different people over the past nine or so weeks, talking about their books, their writings and their thoughts on football. Today, we have another one of those people. He's the co-author of the Encyclopedia of Matildas, Greg Werner, a wonderful volume that he co-wrote with Andrew Howe, whom we spoke to earlier. Greg has, I guess, built his reputation in football over a number of ways, but one of which is his very popular grassroots football project. And we're going to hear more about that and explain why or how he came to co-write the Encyclopedia of Matildas with Andrew. Greg, welcome.
1: Thank you, Benita. Nice to be here.
0: How have you been dealing with the shutdown? I mean, we've pretty much easing now, but how has it been for you the past few
1: months? Uh, it's been an interesting time. I've had uh, children move back home to work and I've been granted back my office space for uh, for an hour or so by uh, my eldest daughter, who's uh, who's working from home half the time and, and in the city office the rest of the time. Uh, my wife has gone into JobKeeper mode, being, uh, being a Qantas employee, so She's probably going to be one of the last ones to go back to work. But I've been pretty well unaffected by it. I've been working all day, every day, which hasn't really given me the, the time to do the things that I want to do. But, you know, that's, that's life.
0: That's life. And, when, and, of course, one of the things that you want to do is writing your next book.
1: Indeed so. i have um, restricted to be able to do that when I get home over, over night time into the, into the wee small hours doing the research and, and the writing for that, which has been keeping me going.
0: And just, I mean, we don't want to talk too much about that now, but do you want to just give a little bit away about what that's about? We're publishing that in 2022, right. which seems a long way off, but time flies.
1: Uh, it does indeed, and there's a reason for 2022 because 2022 is, in fact, the centenary of the uh, the first international, the game in Dunedin between Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the book is, is about the growth of the international game from uh, its... Uh, Oh, I guess questionable beginnings in either the 1870s or the 1880s through to the present day and the the link uh, between the growth of the game and the international side of things so it tells the story of the international sides both the men's and the women's and uh, and how the the game has grown from a, i guess from a geographical point of view as much as anything you know how it grew from a i guess a, an inner city game to uh, to the suburban game that we now know it has
0: Yeah. And of course, it'll dovetail nicely with some other books that we've already published that picks up on those themes as well, but from a a different perspective. Both Peter Kunz's book, Chronicles of Soccer in Australia, and Trevor Thompson's Playing for Australia. So, you know, anyone who wants to write a thesis on these things should look at those books, plus the encyclopedias, plus plus the one that you're writing at the moment, and plus another one that I know that's coming as well. So,
1: yeah, the good thing about it now is that there is actually material for people to work from. For I guess one of the reasons that that most of us have been doing what we're doing is that you know we've come from a point where there was nothing to to base what we were um, what we were writing on. Uh, you know we had to had to find those uh, those bases and, and build them ourselves. So that those that follow us in whatever uh, from whatever angle they want to do, hopefully there'll be some resource material for them to uh, to go back and have a look at
0: yeah that's exactly right that as you know is one of the reasons why we started fair play publishing in the first place was so we could make sure our history and our culture and and and, it, and the characters of our game were recorded which leads us to the encyclopedia of Matilda's which came out last year and I, I can see that in in its splendor behind you as I, as I as I look at you through this call and it's actually behind me too yeah yeah. Uh, and I would have I would have thought this is something that might be, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, we're probably going to be a few hours away from knowing whether we're going to be hosting 2023 and the Encyclopedia of Matildas will be um, a very essential read if that's the case. But tell us, I mean, the Encyclopedia of Socceroos came first and Andrew wrote that and you and Andrew Howe co-wrote this. How did you find just the process of co-writing? It's not always an easy thing to do. So, how how did the two of you work together? How did you divide the work up? And tell us a bit about your role in the book.
1: The the division of labor on this one was uh, was pretty easy. Andrew came to me and said I'd like you to be involved because you know the early side of the the women's game and a lot of the uh, a lot of the earlier players and uh, and he had built his statistical base from, I guess, the, the, the most um, well-known period, which was probably the, the 1999 World Cup and the, the Olympic Games onward, where the, uh, the Australian women's national team had, I guess, garnered some sort of profile, both publicly and privately and so there was actually some statistics that he could he could build on from there but anything prior to that was you know, as you'd well know pretty much invisible to uh, to the general sporting public and uh, i'd been lucky enough through the grassroots football project to build a, a rapport with a number of the older players and had um, been able to build a contact base from which uh, i guess i could i could build the the uh, the earlier history of the of the women's game through, which is uh, which is what Andrew wanted me to uh, to bring to the book, and uh, which I was lucky enough to be able to do. I think there was only one or two players out of the out of the hundred or so that we um, we weren't able to to track down, and uh, luckily enough, I just happened to have a message from one of those missing players only yesterday. So I'm looking forward to having a chat to her soon.
0: Oh, that's that's wonderful of those players and, and as you call them the, the older players the ones that were sort of pre99 what are some of the most remarkable tales that you think come out of that people of players we don't know and should know and things like that
1: individual stories uh, are interesting because there is a, a real similarity between the the early Matildas and their their rise in the game almost to a person. They got into the game through playing with elder brothers, uh, or through a parent who played the game. But it was it was more often than not through you know kicking a ball around in the backyard with elder brothers, Uh, because there, as we know, there was no junior women's football back in the day. Uh, It uh, it really is a a very recent phenomenon. The idea of you know of a six year old girl being able to go down to the park and kick a ball was was unheard of back in the 80s and the 90s. Girls were really only playing football in an organised sense as as 12 year olds, and they were playing in senior women's competitions. So they were playing against you know women 10, 15 years older than themselves, and they, they literally got thrown in at the deep end. But there had been um, They'd been, I guess, hardened by uh, by <laughs> by brothers who uh, take no quarters or no prisoners in the backyard, as you as you well know. You you, know, you don't don't uh, you always give as good as you get in the backyard with your uh, with your siblings, and so that's that's pretty much the way all of them were um, were brought into the game. I guess individual stories. Um, there, there are some uh, Lisa Rader, for instance, um, who is the, the the first player from from Tasmania, the first Tasmanian Tasmanian born to make a national side. She came in uh, at a period where. I guess there was a bit of an upheaval in the in the women's national game. There were a number of players who had been uh, not considered, shall we say, for, for selection uh, in a, uh, a tournament in 1987, uh, half a dozen of them. And so there were some, some big holes that needed to be filled and be filled quickly. So she'd come from an Austrian background in, in Hobart. Her father helped set up the... Uh, the Hobart Club, which was the forerunner to uh, to South Hobart as we know it today, and she literally came in and went out of the the side out of one series, and so her her story was she was the star of of the Tasmanian side, but you know she never considered herself in the in the same league as the the girls from the mainland, especially the girls from uh, Northern New South Wales and, and New South Wales, and she was. Shocked is probably the uh, the easiest way to to put it to be you know selected in the national team and then to you know to go away on a on a on a tour you know she I think she only played the one um, the one match but it, it's those those little uh, those fleeting glimpses of uh, of the national team which for me I find you know the most intriguing that player who played you know. Two minutes off the bench once and is never heard of again in either the the men's game or the women's game. It's like they weren't looked upon as the the stars of their time, but you know they were brought into the to the national team setup for uh, for a reason. And uh, Lisa's was um Lisa's was one of those kind of stories, which was which was really nice. And then you've got the, the three girls from um, from South Australia who came in in that 19, 1979 Series that that first one from the picked from the national setup who, uh, who who once again came and went. We thought you know when I looked at it these were these were girls who were going to you know make a make a real hit in the national team. They, they had a background of playing the game in the UK. They were selected from a, a very good South Australian team who you know had a really good grounding in the game through the Salisbury Club. And they were looked upon as stars in South Australia, but uh, you know, once they hit the the international stage, at, at uh, their um, their their time in the in the limelight was was once again fleeting. But you know, they shone brightly for a minute and then sadly disappeared. One of them, uh, sadly, forever. Uh, Fiona McKenzie died very very shortly after um, after her appearance in the in the national team.
0: Um, It's interesting that you should mention Lisa from Tasmania for a couple of reasons. One, the South Hobart Club's a a very strong historical club, as you know, um, more generally, but also the fact that she did come from a European background. One one of the things that I thought was striking with going through the Matildas encyclopaedia compared with the Socceroos, whereas the Socceroos encyclopaedia shows us the story of Australian migration patterns... The Matildas are entirely different. There are very, very few women of non-English speaking background, and I, I would say from my experience, that's because the, the dads didn't want them to play. So even though the dads may be passionate fans themselves, what what's your observation on that? And and did we reduce our talent pool because of that? The other thing that's really striking is the number of women who or girls who have come from country areas too.
1: Yeah, the uh, to to your first the first part of your question, the the girls of a European background, as as you well know, were not encouraged to play the game. Football was a men's game. Most of the European males are, uh, <laughs> that's, how should we put it, um, very male oriented. Uh, you know the the sun, the sun was was it. You know the girls were had their place, and it, and it wasn't on a football pitch. Uh, so to find players like Lisa Rader through the Rapid Club in in Hobart, and uh, uh, Mariana Milanovic from South Australia, you know she came from a, a good Croatian background. She was you know so, but then you know until you get to players like you know Catherine Canoli. Uh, of uh, of Marconi in the in the present day, uh, you know, a European spot in the in the Australian side was was very difficult to to find. You know, a- Angela Yonotta uh, was, um, I guess, the the only one that really rose above the uh, above the pack and made a made a career out of football. And she had to do that, you know, going back to Italy to play. Uh, other than that, the you know, it was it was the British-born players who. Um, who shone in the game here uh, here locally. As to the, the geographic spread, yeah, I guess, you know, you look at it, we have players from the Northern Territory from both Darwin and from uh, from Alice Springs. We have players from far north Queensland. We had players from Western Australia. Uh, and the rural areas of um both Queensland and uh, and New South Wales. New South Wales, you've got places like Coffs Harbour and Dubbo and uh, tiny little Warhope. Warhope is is a really interesting story that one because it's um, my eldest daughter played against Warhope in the semi-finals of the uh, of the Bill Turner Cup here three or four years in a row and. Yeah, you know, you've got you've got three players from this tiny little timber town in the uh, in the mid north coast of New South Wales that have, have produced three Matildas. So the game in certain certain areas is really really strong.
0: And as opposed to that, of course, you've got some states, and I refer to Victoria in particular, who've only produced sixteen Matildas. We've had discussions about this, in fact, even even with people from Football Victoria, um, they see the need to obviously increase that. But it's interesting to know why that would be the case historically.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't put my finger on on why. You look at the early Matildas that came from Victoria, uh, a number of them were uh, British expats. So of the 16 or 17 players that have been produced by Victoria, homegrown there are big gaps in the in the timeline, uh, and you know we. I think um, the last one might have been either Ash Brown or um, I think it might have been Ashley Brown was probably the last one, and that's that's a number of years back now. So I, I cannot put for the life of me a, a finger on the reason why that would be because they've got the same setup as everybody else around the country. So really, they should be producing footballers.
0: Yeah, they should be. And it perhaps explains why they're very keen or so keen on having the home of the Matildas and, and uh, initiatives like that because they see the need to do something to increase the number of girls who are playing. Because historically also, I mean, it wasn't as if girls were playing AFL or anything at that time. So it's not like now whereby girls do have a choice of some other sports. So football should have been able to get more players, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, they they really didn't have the competition because AFL was was is really only a you know despite what the AFL will tell you, uh, Australian women's football was a um a very very recent concoction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've, as as I mentioned earlier, we're just you know very soon we're going to know about the twenty twenty three World Cup. As someone who has been following the, you know, you've had this grassroots football project going for some time. You've made a lot of contact with the Matildas and you follow the women's game. How do you feel I mean, about the idea of having the Women's World Cup here?
1: Oh, thrilled. I'm just, I'm, I'm on edge. Uh, the the day that the AFC uh, threw their backing behind Australia instead of Japan, I thought was a big step forward. Uh, and having Brazil withdraw you know, uh, only a number of days before that puts us in a, a really good stead. And uh, the idea of being able to to go and watch the um, the girls play on on home grounds against the best in the world and to see the best in the world here is just it's going to be thrilling. And it's going to, be, from my perspective, it's going to be just as big as the Asian Cup because it's going to bring out supporters of all nationalities uh, supporting the teams of their own ethnic background as well uh, and you know, it's going to put some other games' uh, noses out of joint.
0: Uh, I think that's a great thing to look forward to. Um, Just one correction, though, the the AFC hasn't come out in support yet. Um, It's the ASEAN Football Confederation, which is a subset. And of of that subset, there's only one voter. Um, And in my assessment of the voting, we're always going to get that particular person's vote, anyway. So while it's always nice to have these endorsements, football politics it doesn't necessarily mean anything. So we yeah. we, we wait indeed. In terms of the the future, I mean you you're writing this book about the the gen, the, the generation since we started international competition. Um, but one of the things I know I found frustrating as a as a publisher is that not more people are writing books about women's football. Uh, I mean, I guess we should be grateful that we've even got some football books now. But what would be your view on that, on how we could encourage people, um, whether they be women writers or male writers, to write things about women's football and women footballers?
1: Uh, I, think it, I think it will come. Uh, I know that there are a number of uh, academics who are doing theses or theses, or have completed them in in the last couple of years, so there is is now a body of interest out there in the women's game. It's just a case of finding the stories and being able to to I guess find a find an angle to to uh, to make them uh, available to uh, to the general readership as much as anything. It's a case of you know you can tell. A general story of the history of, of women's football in Australia, or you can find a you know a, a history of the, the you know the game in Queensland or the game in New South Wales. It will come in time. Uh, it's just a it's just a matter of I guess reaching that um, that critical mass and finding the finding the I guess the stories that that are going to make people want to uh, make people want to hear them
0: when i was first starting up um fair play publishing i, I actually approached a, a well-known woman writer and actually suggested that she write a book of, uh, not about women's football per se but but about a football i mean there's not enough i think it's really g- great also to hear our footballer stories you know we've we've had books from about robbie slater frank farina Raleigh Russich, various others, but we, we haven't had one written, for instance, about Cheryl Salisbury, um, who, who has a remarkable career. So I I guess I put that out there because I think there is scope for that to be done and it's sort of disappointing that someone hasn't sort of picked that up, especially, as I said, when I actually approached someone and invited them to do so. One of, one of the things, we're going through a lot of change in football at the moment or non-change, <laughs> Uh, if you can put it that way, it, one, one way or the other. Uh, how are you seeing the lay of the land at the moment?
1: Uh, it's all a waiting game at the moment. You know, we've been given the, the perfect opportunity to address the the issues in the game without unsettling the game because, you know, we've had, what, four months now with without any football. Uh, we just got our draws through for, for this neck of the woods this week. Um the competition in, in the area that I live starts on uh, the weekend of July 4 and 5. I know the neighbouring one starts the the following week and that takes us through until the end of September and in St George's situation, the end of October. So we do have football to look forward to, but it's I know that behind the scenes there is a lot of work being done uh, both at a national and a state level to try and make the game more sustainable, as much as anything, um, to try and redress some of the the, the issues that uh, that are in desperate need of of, uh, of fixing. That you know, the the registration fee issue, for instance. Um, I know that uh, that James is the the committee there is seriously looking at the the. Um, the plausibility of promotion and relegation which i know a lot of people have been yelling and screaming for but i seriously don't see at this point in time that there is uh, that there is a sustainable model out there without a huge influx of of money into the game and i don't know given the current circumstances where that influx is going to come from because everybody is putting their hand up from all different quarters to try and get a hold of the available cash and that's not going to be not going to be easy from my personal perspective, the one area that we need to address in the game is our relationship with uh, the government and the funding bodies there within the government. Uh, you know, as the largest participant sport in the, in the country, we should be getting the lion's share of, uh, of the funding that is available. Uh, and we're well, well off the pace in terms of, you know, per head uh, uh, funding levels. And we're both the rugby league and the AFL way ahead of us. And, and that's something that, from my perspective, is probably the major thing that is holding the game back.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you should raise that point because, you know, one of the things, and I wrote about this uh, uh, Last week, um, one of the things, though, that's in the World Cup bid, which has never been announced by the Australian government or by FFA, but you know, good on FIFA, they put it in their report, their evaluation report. And in fact, one of the reasons why our bid was rated so highly is because the governments, the state governments and the federal government of this country are putting in approximately $100 million Australian to back the bid. Now, <laughs> On the one hand, you say, well, we don't get as much money from government, but $100 million is an awful lot of money to make sure that bid is commercially viable. And at the end of the day, you know, we'll, while everybody will enjoy the Women's World Cup if we get it and it will be great fun and it will be five weeks or four and a half weeks of, of a, a giant party, um, when a, you know, from a government's perspective, they'd say, well, we've given you $100 million. So what more do you want us to give you? So... I think that's something the game is. You know, we don't want to worry about that now because everybody wants to circus in town. But it is a big issue, and it's one that uh, the game will have to be mindful of when they go cap in hand to the government.
1: Yeah, and what what the government has to realise is that this is a one-off situation. This is this is an event. This is going to be the largest tourism event um, seen in Australia for for a number of years. Uh, but it's 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 the ongoing funding crisis that uh, that. Is holding the game back, as far as I'm concerned, and that's the that's the big job that uh, Mr. Carozza and and uh, and co have, have got to do the the work within the halls of Canberra to uh, to address, you know, because neither rugby league nor um, nor AFL have these large international events available to them. That's that's the big thing that we've got over over the rest of the um, the rest of the sporting landscape here, uh, you know. We are bringing literally the world to our doorstep if, you know if we get given the the tick of approval on the 25th. and that's going to bring eyeballs to Australia like we haven't seen since since the Asian Cup. I mean, it's all well and good having your Cricket World Cup, your 2020s and what have you, but the eyeballs that that brings to Australia are from a very, very limited um, nation range. But you know football as we know, is the world game, and those eyes are going to come from everywhere.
0: Mm, yeah, it'll be fascinating. Particularly too is the the cost of staging that is going to. be, I think it's in the uh, in the bid book or the bid evaluation of being something like one hundred and fifty million Australian. Um, so there's a gap there as well that has to be met. I'm not quite sure how the game's going to meet that. So it'll be fascinating even though despite the excitement, these are issues that we'll have to grapple with and issues that we'll have to grapple with in the current economic environment for the game. Having said that, um, we've come to the end of, of today's podcast, today's Football Insider, so I'd like to thank you, Greg, for your time.
1: My very great pleasure. Thanks, Benita.
0: So that's it for this week of Football Insiders, the home of Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers' Festival. I should mention that for those of you who didn't get the opportunity or weren't quick enough to purchase the Encyclopedia of Matilda's when it came out last year, we do actually now have it available as an e-type publication. It's not an e-book, but you can have a look at it, purchase it online, and if you go to fairplaypublishing.com.au, and search for the Encyclopedia of Matilda's, you will you will find it. We'll also know very soon after this uh, whether we are successful with the 2023 World Cup bid and along with New Zealand, so let's cross our fingers. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, wash your hands, keep your distance, all those things, and we'll get back to you next week with another episode of Football Insiders. Thanks for listening to Football Insiders from the team behind Fairplay Publishing, home of the Football Writers Festival. Be the first to get inside access by subscribing and to get more head to fairplaypublishing.com.au